I finally made the decision to big chop my hair. And so it was pretty short. And so, you know, I had a short afro now and people would go around calling me bald headed and things like that and make little jokes. And it was just kind of demeaning to me as a young black woman, because as a young black woman, you don't want to be ashamed of the hair that's on your head, you know? From Girl Stands Incorporated, this is the What She Said podcast with your host, Rola Shea. Here, we understand that transitioning from a teenage girl to a thoughtful and thriving adult is a tough journey to travel. So why navigate the path alone when you can walk with women who've been in your shoes? So we invite you to come as you are with your mess, confusion, and stress and bloom with us into elegant, graceful, and resilient young women. You've just entered a safe space where black girls and young women speak their truth and differences without feeling judged or guilty about it. A space where you can acquire qualities that make you confident, mindful, mentally and emotionally healthy, and poised with an unshakable sense of belonging. So with your journals in hand and a receptive heart, let's hear what this week's resilience and graceful guest has to say. Welcome to today's conversation. Today we have Maya joining us for a great topic and the upbringings of a young girl. And we're excited to get into her story. Hi, Maya. Hi, it's so nice to be here. Awesome, it's so nice to have you. Thank you for saying yes to participate in this conversation. I'm excited to get to know you. Of course, I'm excited to share my story. Awesome. So how are you vibing today, Maya? What is your vibrations today? Are you on good vibes, medium vibes? What is it like today? I'm on pretty good vibes. Cool. That's good to know. So before we begin, Maya, I want to give you the authority to let us know how you identify in this world. So how do you identify in ethnicity, gender, and social class? I identify as a young Black lady. I'm a female. My social class is uh, young, uh, growing. Yes, it's growing. Cool. Cool. Well, uh, Maya, would you uh, introduce yourself? Um, tell us a little bit about the area you grew up in. If you have siblings, any hobbies, just give us like a brief intro of who you are. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I grew up in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Been here my whole life. I haven't really been outside of Tennessee kind of ever. I grew up in Red Bank, probably more other places, but for as far back as I can remember, I lived in Red Bank. I have three siblings, a sister who's two years younger than me and an older sister, as well as a brother. I don't see him a lot. My hobbies include, I really like watching TV, sleeping and hanging out with friends. Oh, okay. Tamaya, remind me again, your generation class. So Generation Z, Millennial, X, Y. Do you know your generation class? Um, millennial, I think. You're millennial, okay. So I don't know, I'm not, I don't understand well the, well, I understand it, but I don't know the years of each generation. So we may have to check on that. <laughs> Me either. I'm Gen Z, sorry. Gen Z, okay, that's what I thought. I have my own experience growing up as a millennial, you know, coming out of the 80s. I'm curious, how was it growing up as a Gen Z? Tell us a little bit about your upbringings. Uh, so I was born in 2003 and 
in the early 2000s, I was too young to really remember, but I was raised by my grandmother. And so my aunt, she, it would be a millennial too. And she had different VHS tapes that we would watch and things like that. And I really liked um, how old school it was growing up for me. Sometimes I hated it, but I really liked being raised by my grandmother and getting to experience that. Yeah, grandmothers are cool. So you did get a little bit of the VH tapes and not so much all the digital life, but you got a little bit of that, right? Yes. um, Well, my aunt had this like stereo little setup that she had and she had different like albums and I would listen to music on it and different things like that. It was such simpler times. Honestly, wish that I could go back to it because we didn't always have cable. We couldn't always afford cable. So we would have convertible box with the, you know, the antennas. Uh, to watch TV and sometimes it would like lose connection. I feel like I grew up pretty old school for somebody my age. For sure. Like you're you're telling a story that's similar to me that I can relate to. <laughs> um, trying to fix the antenna to get a signal. Yeah, that's yes. That's yeah, that's definitely it. <laughs> so how was it, how was your upbringing in your community wise? Like what type of community did you grow up in and the people around, did you see people out playing in your community? Did you engage with other kids in your neighborhood? I stayed in Red Bank, like I said. So there would be other kids outside. and We would go play with neighbors and go ride our bikes outside. And community-wise, um, there were some uh, Black people that stayed in my neighborhood. There is a little Black girl named Candace that I remember playing with. And there was also some Hispanic people out there as well. So you had a pretty diverse upbringing in your community. Yeah, honestly. So my grandmother was on Section 8. And so, you know, she would pay some of her rent, not all of it. And we stayed in these apartments called the Silver Creek Apartments, which they don't take Section 8 anymore. Mm -hmm. So out that way, I did notice because we were on Section 8, there were a lot more Black people out there and Hispanic people. And now it's it's more like a... um, it's more gentrified. There's more white people out there now. Hmm. So I'm curious, Maya, when you were younger, now you're you're sharing that your grandmother was on Section 8 and yes. those things, but when you were younger, were you aware of that? Was that something that made you feel inferior? Was that something that you were always conscious of in your surroundings? Or was, was it even a part of your consciousness? Did you even care? Yeah, so that's a really good question. Growing up on Section 8, I didn't even realize that my grandmother was on that. I didn't too much understand it when I was a little kid. I didn't start realizing that she was on Section 8 until I got older and she explained to me that she played, she played, she paid some of her rent and, you know, not all of it. And when growing up, I was just like, when I started to understand that, I asked myself, then it must be easier for her, but evidently not because we would still have to worry about not having cable, even though it, it was it wasn't important. But to me, that was an important thing: having cable and internet, things like that. We also were raised on food stamps. Yeah, and I ask that because you know I'm I'm learning as I'm going through my own journey of redefining my experiences in terms that have been given to me by society. You know, I, I sat with that just recently, and I was like, you know, I never, you know, people say that people that are on Section 8 or use food stamps are impoverished or whatever titles they want to give 
And I'm like, you know, I never felt that way when I was growing up. I was happy. <laughs> Same. I was super, I was super content with my life. Then I didn't, I was a kid. I didn't understand how big it was that we were on section eight and I didn't feel any lesser than I kind of just felt content because at the time the apartment that we were staying in was super nice we had two living rooms an upstairs living room and a downstairs living room my grandmother had um her own room me and my sister shared a room my older sister had her own room and my aunt stayed with us as well as she had her own room so it was a that was the most bedrooms that she's had and it was really nice and I didn't even understand how nice it was back then until I grew up and then it started getting a little worse for us as far as you know where we were moving to. Yeah. Yes, that's interesting. I'm glad you shared that. Now, as you gotten older and you realized you were your parents were or your grandmother was on section 8, did you try to hide that? Did you feel ashamed of that? Did you did you start to develop any type of complex due to that? Well, I I never I don't think I've ever felt ashamed of that. I've always wondered why we never stayed in a house for as long as I can remember we've stayed in apartments. Um, we have been in houses before, but I was too young to remember that mm -hmm. experience. But, you know, I used to want to decorate my room. I used to want to paint the walls, like how other people had their walls purple. I would be like, oh, well, you know, I just have these beige walls and being in an apartment, you can't paint your walls, you know? So it was just little things like that. But I've never felt really ashamed. My grandmother, I feel like deep down inside, she was sort of ashamed. She would tell me not to tell people because I would have just told anybody that we were on Section 8 and it was never a big thing to me. It still isn't because... To me, it's just, you know, that's nothing to be ashamed of. I have a roof over my head and my grandmother did the best she could raising me and my two sisters. Yeah, I love your mindset being so young. That's that's a beautiful uh, perspective to have. You know, I was and, I was raised in that same particular environment and I was always told, you know, it's not where you live, it's how you live. Yeah, and growing up, that was not always my mindset. It's just now I'm 19, it's taken me a long time to get to this mindset to this point where I'm content even though we're you know not living in the best place right now I'm still content with my life I used to be pretty insecure that growing up in Red Bank people always had things like material things they had shoes they had Jordans I've owned one pair of Jordans my whole life so I've never had like different pair of shoes where every day of the week I didn't have the cutest clothes or whatever, but I had clothes on my back and, you know, my grandmother did her best to try to get our hair done and keep our hair done. Um, in elementary school, though, I had like a perm, so it was just like really bad. So like going into, you know, you saying that I guess kids around you would have Jordans and things like that. And I grew up, I grew up in that space as well, you know, where we kind of use brands to identify our, I guess, our financial status or yes. to identify if we have things or not. When we know as we get older, that's really a false concept. It's really false. But um, I'm curious, you know, now that you've said that, how was it in your high school experience? Can you share with us the culture of your high school? And if, you know, kind of mentioning the Jordan situation, if that was something that gave you social status at your high school what what type what was your high school experience like my high school experience in one word was drama from middle school to high school it was pretty bad my social standing at my high school was very anti-black it wasn't a place that as a young black woman you want to grow up because you know I had a perm and at my elementary school and so my hair was pretty damaged and Going into high school, I finally made the decision to big chop my hair 
It was either middle school or high school. I finally made the decision to big chop my hair. And so it was pretty short. And so, you know, I had a short Afro now and people would go around calling me bald headed and things like that and make a little joke like, oh, is your head cold and things like that. And it was just kind of demeaning to me as a young black woman, because as a young black woman, you don't want to be ashamed of the hair that's on your head, you know? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And you said it was an all, it was predominantly white school, correct? Yes. The school I grew up in was predominantly white. There actually were a surprising amount of Black kids that went there um, from all different parts of town. You know, some of them grew up in Orchard Knob, some of them grew up in the hood, which is why it was also surprising hearing from them, you know, the same things that I was hearing that you would think that you would hear from white people. So really, it wasn't white people that would make fun of my hair. It was actually Black people. You know, they would they would call me bald-headed and, you know, um, I had a friend, she had made this comment one time where she said her little sister's hair was longer than mine and um, she was a mixed girl. So her mom was white and her dad was black, but her hair, ironically, her hair was like mine. It was a uh, four type. Her hair wasn't three type at all. So, wow. You said that most of the, I guess the traumatic experiences came from people like you who kind of just made derogatory comments about your authenticity and your natural state. Wow, yes. how, did, how did, wow, like how did that experience shape your mindset around, I mean, you said you're going to a predominantly white school, however it was black people there. Did you have more white friends or black friends after that experience? How did that happen? I mean, what happened with that? I definitely had more white friends growing up at my high school and I went from this school from elementary school to high school so I had one best friend in particular who was white and you know she never made me feel lesser than because of my hair or anything like that she's never made any slick comments we were really good friends um you know I used to go over her house and we would just have fun and swim in her pool and things like that and you know, she never made me feel lesser than because I was black and she was white and her hair was longer than mine and whatever the case was. It was mostly just black kids that made me feel like that, which is so, you know, sad to me because it makes me think that looking back now, they must have been insecure within themselves, that they felt the need to make fun of me because, you know, some of the guys would do it, the black guys and their moms you know their moms their sisters have hair like my hair you know things like that and the black girls that went to my high school they would wear their hair pressed out you know usually a soap press or um a sewing with like the leave out that was a big thing then so they would wear their hair like that and you know I tried the sewing with the leave out one time and my hair poofed right back up because I was at a dance and it was hot and the humidity made my hair poof right back up and it looked so bad and I never heard the end of it like the next day I heard the people at the phone I didn't have a t at the time I didn't have a phone so I think people were talking about me on snapchat or something like that I don't know it was just this whole thing because my leave out had poofed back up you know my whole life at at the school I went to I've heard negative things about my hair mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that is, a. I can see that can be disappointing. You know, it, 
definitely takes time for us to feel comfortable in our natural state, you know, as we grew, as we've grown through generations of being um, oppressed and not being able to express our natural state, I can see how it can shape the minds of even our own people. But thank God it's changing, right? Thank God people are finally embracing parts of that. And, you know, hopefully it's going to get better. Truly grateful you you grow, you grew through that and that you survived that. Yes, I am too. So I have to ask, because this is a conversation that's present even in the adult sphere, where we have adults that are growing through their healing process and becoming conscious of the things that we do to each other in the cultural and amongst our own Black people. Um, a lot of adults say that, you know, they feel banished or isolated from their other black peers because they're not black enough so my I'm curious to you have you ever experienced that with your peers and have you ever been maybe picked on for having a certain tone of voice vernacular or the way that you speak I definitely have I have been told by cousins that I talk white and you know my grandmother she's never really made a comment about that you know she knows that we talk differently than her and my mom and my sister they were all raised in the hood so you know they have a certain way of speaking and me and my sister were both raised in Red Bank so we talk a certain way and my aunt as well my aunt was went to went to my high school so you know growing up in a white high school yes it was I think that a lot of white people there put on sort of a black scent. And I have been told that the way of my speaking, I do talk like a white person. I've been told by cousins that I sound white and things like that. My mom always, you know, interjected though and said that just because you talk this certain way doesn't mean that you don't sound black. Hallelujah. Um, <laughs> no, your mom pretty yeah. much defends you, right? My mom has always been, even though she wasn't around too much, um, she always made me and my sister feel more confident in ourselves. She would always make it known, you know, I don't have ugly kids. You know, she <laughs> she always she always tries to make us feel more than instead of less than. Growing up with my grandmother, me and my sister did both grow up to be pretty insecure people. And I think that had a lot to do with, you know, just our surroundings. But to answer your question, yes, I have definitely been told that I sound white by my peers. So with that, because sometimes when we're told things, we can internalize it, right, as we move into life. That's why I made the statement to let you know, like, even adults in their 30s and 40s still kind of deal with that, that language of people saying that to them um would you say that in any space have you internalized that and have you are you mindful enough to notice if you're shifting as they call code switching to either appeal to white people or black people do you feel like you consciously or unconsciously do that sometimes to to feel like you belong in certain spaces actually no i don't think i code switch i think i pretty much talk the same anybody that I'm talking to I used to yes when I was younger I used to try to sound more like the people that I went to school with I used to try to sound more quote-unquote black but now I really think that I'm over that I'm just myself 
on me wherever I go. And I actually witnessed my aunt, my aunt used to do that a lot when, you know, when a white person would come to the door, she would kind of make her self sound super, you know, articulate. And I would just be like, why is she doing that? But growing up, I, I'm realizing now that, you know, black people feel this certain stigma to be accepted by white people sometimes. And so they feel like they need to change the way they speak to get a job or just to be around white people. My mom does code switching, you know, when she's at a job or a job interview, I mean, say, so, yeah. Yeah, for sure. You know, my son has called me out on that in the past. <laughs> so it's kind of funny that you said that because I remember being on the phone once and my son was like, you know, it was a white guy that would call. And my son was like, whenever he calls, you change your voice. You know, kids, <laughs> kids Yes, and when so you're younger, aware. you really don't understand it. Yeah, you kids don't. don't understand, like, why are you faking your true nature? You know, it's because in a child, you guys are pure and you're like, I am who I am. And yes, you know, that's who you should be at all times. And I really love that. And my son definitely taught me a lesson in that. Yeah, it took a minute, but yeah, I'm, I show up. I don't change my voice. I don't change the tone. I don't change the vernacular. I just keep it how it is because, you know, I believe that to truly have a human or humanity, to truly bring humanity into uni unification is to accept all expressions of each human, Black, white, Asian, whatever, you know, and especially with us as Black people, we have to understand that we come in so many different shapes, sizes, and forms, and tones, and color, skin tones, and voice tones, and speeches, and, you know, we're diverse within our cultural, you know, and it's, we have to learn how to accept that, and we can't oppress one another by trying to make us be any kind of way. Definitely, definitely. And I feel like your surrounding needs also indicate how you grow up talking. You know, mm -hmm. I feel like at my high school, I mentioned this before, a lot of the white kids would try to use a black set. Like when they got around black people, I would notice that they would make themselves sound a lot different. And growing up, once again, I never understood that. I didn't understand like, why are you talking like this all of a sudden? And now I realize white people, they also feel a stigma to fit in with Black people. And they want to be seen as cool by Black people. So they start to use, they start to take on a Black scent, which you know isn't real because you're in Red Lake and you live in Red Lake. Yeah, that's interesting. I've never heard anyone say that. And the term Black scent, like I've never heard that. <laughs> yeah that's interesting that's something new for me wow you know I know some some people that have had similar experiences as you who you know went to predominantly white school and maybe a sprinkle of black people and I mean their experience is totally different you know you're you're sharing with us that most of your traumatic experiences came from your own people your own cultural people of black people and uh, you have some people that go to a predominantly white school and they're like, oh my God, you know, I experienced all this racism and these girls kind of like touching my hair and treating me like I'm some type of foreign animal type of experience. And I'm just in awe that your experience was totally different. You know, you were more so embraced by the opposite cultural than told that, you know, you weren't black enough from your own cultural. That's interesting to me. I also feel that if at the school I went to, I think there were a lot of wannabe hood Black kids there. And so they felt the need to fit in with the white people by making fun of, you know, my hair or whatever the case was. Because I noticed at 
predominantly hood black schools, there is never, you know, there's never this like stigma to fit in as far as like hair goes, you know, at a predominantly black school here in Chattanooga, they would wear scarves to school and nobody would say a thing. They would wear bonnets to school and they'd be, you know, okay. Nobody would say anything about it. I think the best thing that my grandmother ever did was putting my, uh, my sister, the one that's two years younger than me, is putting her in a predominantly black school because she's never had to deal with that there. Um, she's never felt the stigma to not wear her natural hair though. So I think that was the best decision she ever made. And I really wish that I had that decision that I could have went there because it's a pretty good school. Mm -hmm. So I have another question for you. At any point in your high school experience or within your community, did you feel unsafe? No, I don't think so. I don't think I ever felt unsafe. I think that it was more words, you know, people just talked a lot and, you know, words mean a lot when you're young, you know, I mean, I think they mean a lot now, but there's so many kids at a school and you hear all of them talking about you it definitely can wear your wear you down mentally and emotionally but physically no there was never any I'm mean, there was never any point where I felt unsafe like somebody would you know hurt me in any way physically that's good to know yeah words are very powerful you know we often like to um portray a strong image that words can affect us but they definitely can and they definitely can influence us in ways, uh, but when we grow those inner resources and we strengthen those inner resources, we can overcome that. And, you know, you're sharing a lot of um, encouragement from your family. So I think that's that's a great resource to have. You know? Yeah, I definitely think some of my family was more encouraging than others. My mom was way more encouraging than my grandmother. You know, don't get me wrong, I love my grandmother. She raised me through, you know, everything, but she's very old school she's uh like 62 years old now I think and she has a certain way of speaking that other people can really be offensive and she doesn't even realize it I've been trying to get her out of the habit of saying pretty hair like her hair she has very loose curls she has maybe 3a hair so um her hair isn't like mine it's not four type and she's always talking about like you know when she refers to my sister's hair, she refers to it as nappy because my sister definitely has 4C hair. She always refers to it as nappy and like her hair isn't pretty like mine or, you know, she'll say things like, you know, for her to be mixed, her hair isn't really pretty, you know, and I've been trying to get her out of the out of the habit of saying that because there's different types of hair and each type of hair is beautiful. Absolutely. And I grew up in that same space. So I, I get it, you know, uh, good hair bad hair, you, yes. know, you know, being nappy hair. Yeah, nappy hair and all that stuff. You know, I grew up the opposite though. Like my, well, I think you, you said the same thing. My hair was very thick. I have like 4C, thick, thick coals, the coals that turn into BB's coals. <laughs> yes, That's my grandmother would actually make fun of my sister for that. And it was so saddening to see growing up, she would always you know, say how my sister had BBs in the back of her head and all kinds of things. So it was, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And it's so crazy because I was never told my hair was bad. I was always told that I had good thick hair. It just took a little water, to, you know, to, to loosen up the curls a little bit because even BBs are curls, you know, that's yeah. something that we don't think about, but 
I was never told that my hair was bad, but I will say when I got my hair done, even to this day, stylists would be like, oh, your hair too thick. It's going to take all day, you know, because <laughs> my hair <laughs> yeah. is thick and full. Anyone who would have, you know, I grew up in a predominantly black school in a predominantly black neighborhood as well. So I kind of, I guess I have a similar experience as your young sister. So uh, we did embrace different hairstyles, but people still got picked on for their hair types. Um, but I never really recall someone preferring like a mixed girl curls over a, you know, a thick African black fro, you know? Yes. As long as it was combed out and, and kept and, you know, and groomed, I think that was the only thing for us. But uh, yeah, I grew up in that same space. And I think older people, they're so conditioned and used to the way that they identify with things that you kind of have to like stand in your authority to know like, hey, this is not, I'm not going to accept that. My hair is good. You know, I know that you just, you're still in your era, but my hair is yes. fine. It's healthy and my hair is good. <laughs> yes. To my grandmother, long hair is healthy. And I think that was a big thing at the high school I went to as well. I think that growing up, healthy hair to everybody was long hair. If your hair was long, you had good hair. Even if it was damaged, you had good hair. Yeah, I can see that. Interesting. I um, Let me see. Well, so I'm curious, was there a, uh, you said you didn't feel unsafe, but I'm, I'm curious if you felt the need to express yourself, if you felt the need to maybe tell your peers that what they're saying to you is hurting your feelings or what they're saying to you is not okay. Was there a safe space for that at your school or within your family or with the admins at your school? My thing is, I think really I just kept bad company. I'm not going to say all of this falls on those people because I did for some reason choose to be friends with people who would make little sly comments like that. Mm -hmm. um my safe space was my mom my safe space was my my real friends you know the Cordesia I have a friend she's very pro-black she's never made me feel lesser than because of my hair she actually has locks now beautiful locks Shayla I found a solace in her as well because you know she never made me feel lesser than because of my hair and I really think I really just think that I kept bad company as far as who I chose to be friends with yeah, looking back now, how would you have set boundaries with those people? You know, once you realize, you know, I don't have to tolerate that. I don't have to endure this. How would you have set boundaries with those people? And do you, would you do that now in your present life, like with your present friends? Definitely. I had a real, I was very sensitive growing up. I cried about everything. I didn't like confrontation. Um, now, though, I think going to the high school I went to really made me toughen up and it made me it just made me more tough you know in my skin now I know what to what and who to stay away from who to look for in a friend you know I know not to look for friends who make you know slick little comments about me I need friends who you know build me up and make me feel more than instead of lesser than wow that's that's very wise for your age you know going into adulthood and independence with that mindset I think is going to grant you a healthy emotional mental and spiritual life you know that's so important you know that's a part of our program with girl stands and our upcoming courses is just giving girls that sense of security that sense of confidence that you have and 
saying, hey, I don't, I can choose who I allow around me and I can choose to not accept things from peers and family members. You know, you can yes. choose what, what you internalize and what you don't. And for you to have that and also the growth to that is, is a beautiful story that you're sharing with us. I really do wish though that I could go back and kind of let myself know that you don't have to hang around these people who make you feel lesser than. You don't have to be popular. You can just be you. And I really wish I could go back and tell my younger self that because younger me was just super insecure. I, I never stood up for myself. Like I said, you know, I should have stood up for myself. I should have let them know. I should have set boundaries and been like, well, okay, what you said wasn't funny. And I never did that because like I said, I didn't like confrontation. Yeah. And that's another thing that we teach in our programs and courses and strengthening inner resources is that, you know, confrontation doesn't always have to equal tension. And yeah. sometimes we think confrontation is going to lead to contention. And I get it. You know, I grew up where in my environment, confrontation equal, you want to fight. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> confrontation equal, like, oh, wait a minute, you trying to tell me what to do? You know, like, well, we're going to fight. So I'm like, no, I don't exactly. want to fight. I'm just kind of trying to set my boundaries here. But yes. Um, and then there was always instigators that are like, oh, you're oh, going to yeah. let her talk to you like that? You know, <laughs> things like that. So yeah oh she punked you out yeah that type of environment yes or the couldn't be me right <laughs> yeah I get it so we you know we lack conflict resolution a lot of times in our cultural and um, I think that can make us really that can make us shrink in life you know when we get older and we want to address something we can either be overly aggressive or we can just completely shrink you know some similar to what you shared about your grandmother like you know, she speaks in an aggressive tone and sometimes that comes yes. from upbringing, you know, just the upbringing of what conflicts means or when you're putting someone in their place or when you're trying to advise someone of something is more of a domineering and aggressive type of Yes, tone. and I've always been a little envious of my younger sister, Shay, the one who's two years younger than me. She has always been more you know, she doesn't care about confrontation. My sister will fight. She will do whatever, you know, she'll fight for me. She'll fight for herself. She's never had a problem standing up for herself. You know, she would have done anything with anybody, but, um, you know, same thing with my oldest sister. She's that same way. So I really was kind of envious of that growing up. I really wish that I was more like her growing up than maybe, I don't know, but now though, I'm kind of glad that I endured that because now I know what to look for and what not to look for. Yeah, you know, and it goes back to us just being different. You know, we're not all fighters. We're yes. not all um, confrontational. And exactly. you know, there, there are times when you have to stand up for yourself and you have to build those inner resources to, to say what you need for your emotional and physical and mental safety. You know, I am definitely a fighter. <laughs> But uh, I had to, you know, mature because it's just that's not the thing to do when you become an adult. So you kind yes. of, you know, mature in your communication and and how you approach things in life. And um, yeah, we all have our different tempers too, which I think makes us a beautiful people. But yes. I'm glad that you have accepted who you are and that you are okay with who you are and feel confident in who you are. Yeah, I definitely still have a long way to go. You know, I'm still really insecure by a lot of things, but yeah. 
Yeah, and that's completely okay. We all have insecurities. I don't think they ever go away. You just learn to live with them and eventually say, you know, this is who I am. How would you explain your life now? So how are things moving along for you? And what is it like? What is it that you aspire to do? I would say my life is content. You know, I work at a daycare with uh, phenomenal kids. I love that. Uh, I've been working since I was 15. And, you know, so far, this is the best job. You know, it teaches me a lot of patience. I do, I don't know exactly what, but I aspire to be someone my younger self would love. I know that sounds kind of like cheesy or whatever, but when I was young, I was really, I would like look to television, you know, I would look to TV to find kind of what I want to be. Like if a pretty girl was doing something, I'd be like, oh yeah, I want to do that when I get older. I used to want to be an interior decorator career-wise, but now I'm not so sure. I just want to be happy in whatever I do. Like, I don't want to wake up in the morning and be like, dread going to my job because I've had that already. Not a fan. Don't recommend, but I really just don't want to be so stuck somewhere I hate. My family definitely inspires me the most. Seeing how they are makes me want to do just a bit better. I kind of just want to break generational curses family-wise, you know, I want to have a husband. I want to be married. You know, I want to get kids out of that relationship. And I just want to do better. Yes. And all of that is available to you. All of it. You have no limits on your life. I love that. But I also wanted to ask you one last question about, you know, how you stated you will see a pretty girl doing something and you want to do it. Would you say that your generation and maybe even generations that are rising up behind you are easily influenced um, through social media or through the that girl vibe or the pretty girl vibe and even so with that what is a pretty girl yes uh, to answer your first question yes I really think that when you are little you everything influences you I think TikTok is a huge influence on my generation Uh, you know there's a lot of strippers on TikTok so you know they'll show their lives and you know how much money they make at night and things like that and I think and so many people are in the comments like oh I want to do this when I grow up you know I want to do this like if if my life has turned out to what I want it to be I'm gonna do that but I really think that you know and there's nothing wrong with working like that you know you do what you have to do but at the same time I think that we should aspire to be more I think that when you're young, you shouldn't be worrying about that kind of thing. And to answer your second question, a pretty girl to me is somebody who is, you know, obviously, you know, just pretty on the outside, but also pretty on the inside. If you're pretty on the outside and you're just a mean person on the inside, you're not pretty. I don't care what anyone says, you know, uh, you know, you have to have a good personality. You can't be thinking you're just, above everyone else and I think growing up at my high school there were a lot of girls like that who thought that they were above everybody else because they had like really long hair and they were skinny and they were popular and things like that but that's not even what it's about yeah for sure not at all because that those things fade you know and there's always someone that comes behind you that's prettier smarter longer hair healthier hair can dance better you know yes it's, it's never ending so those aren't yes. great foundation points to measure your life of. And, you know, you mentioned, like, I guess on TikTok and your generation, there's a lot of influence from strippers. 
I can say that that's probably that's probably going up to several other generations as well. But I think the main influence in that space is fast money, right? Yes. And one of the things you keep saying, which I think is just admirable, is that you're content. What has allowed you to not seek fast money and be content with your life? Honestly, I look at the people and like the industry, the entertainment industry as a whole, they do a lot of things that they don't want to do. And they make, they're making fast money because they're doing those things. And stripping is not all it's cut out to be, you know, fast money in general, it's not all it's cut out to be. There's, there's always something extra that you have to start doing for that money. And I I feel like, I feel like I don't want that life. You know, I don't want to sell my body to make it. Um, And I'm not downing people who do that. I'm just trying to make the point that it can feel pretty demeaning. It can, it can feel pretty demeaning. And, you know, there's a lot of people in the entertainment industry, people who were in, I don't know how to say this, adult video, mm-hmm. videos, that yeah. industry. Yeah, I think that, you know, there've been a lot of them that come out with their stories saying that they were forced to do stuff they didn't want to do. And I just don't want to, I don't want to live like that. I think that's the most simple thing. Like you have to want better for yourself. I don't want to live like that. I don't want to have to, do this in order to get money there's so many more ways that you can live without having to do that yeah so that it sounds like stripping or anything that invades your ability to choose does not align with your morals and values yes yeah and it's not even just that it's just like it's not even just like you know dancing if you know it's more like the entertainment, I mean, even singers and rappers, they have to do stuff they don't want to do to be more famous and to have more money. And I just see that as I don't want to do that. I don't want to yeah. and it, sell it, out to be you know, somebody. Right. And it brings me back to your statement that you made earlier that everyone just want to be popular instead of just being who they are, you know, and it's you know, when we talk about the entertainment industry, it's kind of like, you know, the YouTube thing is taking off. People are YouTubers now. And if you're not a YouTuber, yes. you don't have this many followers that you're not adequate, that you're not sufficient in life. What do you think about that? I mean, as this generation continues to move towards um, the digital age, it seems like more people are striving to have this many followers to feel adequate or have this type of lifestyle and to portray this type of lifestyle to feel like they're not missing out, you know, as a person that's content at your age and that you don't seem easily influenced by it. What do you think about that? You know, I'm just curious of your mindset as a teenager in this space. Yeah. So I'm not going to, you know, sit here and lie and act like I don't want to, I've always wanted to be, you know, a YouTuber too, because, you know, they get to make videos, make fun videos and make money by doing something that they love and that I know they love, you know, some of them, you know, the more, the more, the most popular ones, you know, their privacy is kind of invaded. I'm referring to like the smaller YouTubers who have a lot of views, but still get good money from doing something that they love and making fun videos and content that people can laugh at and things like that. Um, you know, I kind of wanted to be a YouTuber, uh, you know, a content creator because, you know, it looks fun. It looks, they make it look pretty appealing, even though I know everything isn't what it's, what it's made out to be. Yeah, growing up, I really, an age where technology is taking over, it's really scary, but cool at the same time, because it's getting to the point where you can just make money by 
putting out dance videos on TikTok or, or just making a fun YouTube video of you doing your makeup, you know, something that you love to do. And, you know, people even make videos where they're, where they're doing a mukbang, where they just eat food in front of the camera and talk and they get money from that and they get lots of views from that. So, you know, it's, it's pretty appealing. I don't see anybody who wouldn't want to be a YouTuber. Yeah, it sounds freeing. Yeah, <laughs> it sounds freeing. Uh, but I'm sure that YouTube is definitely a job. I have some friends that are full time YouTubers, and it's, it's it can definitely become like a job, you know. Yes. Um, so yeah, that's that's interesting. I agree with you that you know it's a gift and a curse at the same time. But yes, I'm I'm enjoying you know some people's content. You know, it entertains me here and there, and I've also desired that at one point in my life. Um, I didn't grow up with technology that that heavily in my life I I had a great a huge amount of time that was not influenced by technology so even up until like probably 11th grade you know Facebook just came out and it was only for college students when it was first created so we had our what MySpace I think and some other stuff but it wasn't it still wasn't as heavily influence as it is today so it's been interesting to watch how it has changed so many people's lives and how it's changing the generations and um it can also become an invasion of privacy like you said yes people around you with their cell phones out and things but that's good to hear from you you know I'm always interested to know what the gender the rising generation is thinking of this new lifestyle so I think you answered my last question earlier um, but I want to give you a chance to maybe either reiterate or just think a bit deeper on it. But I was wondering what inspires you and who inspires you? Definitely um, my family. They inspire me the most to do better. My mom, especially because let's just say she made some bad choices, you know, with certain things. And that's why, you know, she doesn't have us anymore. But I know that if she could go back and change it, that she would. And she does. She said multiple times she wants her kids to do better than her. She wants us to, and she's super big on all of us getting along. She doesn't want us to be like my grandmother's side of the family who, my grandmother has a lot of siblings and, you know, her siblings, um, some of them passed away and they, they're just not super close. They come see each other when something's wrong, when one of them is sick, and that's it. And I know my mom doesn't want that for us, for me and my siblings. And, you know, as we grow up, I noticed some distance between my oldest sister and me and my younger sister. And more, I'm more close to my younger sister now because of that divide between us and my older sister. So I really think that, you know, my mom inspires me, even though she made some bad choices, she wants me and my sister to do better she she's always super encouraging another person who inspires me like people around me Shayla really inspires me you know her relationship with the god really inspires me and it makes me want to do better as well Cordasia another friend of mine she really inspires me she's really good at sticking up for herself and her friends you know just the people around me the people who I keep company with now they inspire me that's awesome. And I am sure that you inspire someone. So I'm sure that there's girls that still may be experiencing what you're experiencing, but we're going to hope that that changes soon, you know, and maybe have, have already changed. But I'm pretty sure there are girls who are going through similar experiences, you know, being raised by their grandmother, um, going to a predominantly white school and having 
a little bit of discourse with black people or vice versa. So in that space, with you being an inspiration, what would you leave to these young girls? What would you say to them to encourage them to continue to strive to be their best selves? I would definitely tell them, please don't worry about what other people think because those same people that you're worried about in high school, you're not gonna see them. Like you're really not, you're gonna, you're not gonna see them in 10 years time. So just don't worry about them. Don't worry about their lives because they may, they make you think their lives are, is, are the, is you know, all sunshine and whatever, but it's really not. And I would say um, choose good company, you know, definitely don't choose people who make you feel bad about yourself just because you know they're popular they have a certain social status in the high school because they're big fish in a little pond Woo, you said it <laughs> so Maya we like to end our interview with giving you the opportunity to affirm who you are so we open it up we've given you the authority to identify yourself now we close it with you affirming who you are. So we like to say, she is. And after she is, you tell us who you are. She is blank. On the count of three, Maya, give us something in one word that identifies your strength, your resilience, your confidence, your self-awareness, and your compassion towards others. She is strong. She is nice. She has a great personality. She loves her family. And she loves her friends. And that's that. It is written. Thank you so much, Maya, for sharing this space with us and sharing your stories and your perspectives in life. Just thank you for being you and growing through your lens of experience and everything that has imprinted on you has shaped you to be the best version of yourself. I just want to let you know that nothing that you have gone through can bring you down and everything that you have gone through is going to shape a beautiful superhuman by the name of Maya. Yes. So Thank we, you. You're welcome. We weave in all of our experiences and we breathe them in and we say, yeah, that's what I experienced, but this is who I am and it's all a part of my DNA. So I thank you for embracing that and standing in that and taking that stance. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. You're welcome. And you have an abundant, prosperous, loving day. You too. Thanks for joining us today. What feelings are you left with after hearing today's episode? What did today's episode spark in you? Did you hear something that you feel is hard to apply to your life? Or did something powerfully resonate with you? DM us on Instagram at girlstandschalk and let's talk about it. Are you a girl between the age of 13 and 24 looking to master self-awareness, calmness, and elegance? Think of joining our upcoming programs at girlstands.org. Oh, and don't forget to leave us the ratings on iTunes and Spotify so more young women can grow with us. In the meantime, check out all the links located in our podcast description for more information. 
What She Said is presented by Girl Stands Incorporated, a 501c3 nonprofit organization that specializes in guiding girls to strengthen internal resources to navigate dysfunctional patterns at the level of thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. 